0: Would you turn your Bibles with me this morning to Isaiah chapter 9. In the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 9. We'll begin in verse 1 this morning. We are in a Christmas series, and we've entitled the series Birth of Hope. And we've been exploring birth stories in the Bible. And the subject for today, Christmas Sunday, is of course the birth of of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But I'm taking an angle this morning, and and we're going to unpack a rich prophetic statement in the book of Isaiah about the birth of hope. And I invite you this week on Christmas Eve to join the church at 6 p.m., where we will read from the birth account from the Gospels and sing Christmas carols and light candles to symbolize the hope that we have. Our text this morning, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun in the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is God's word for us today. This text helps us to understand the depths of the riches of the meaning of Christmas. And Christmas means this. It It means that something unexpected happens, and the unexpected ultimate light is the gift that's given through the birth of a baby who is the God-man, which can only be received by grace. So let's take a look at our text this morning, and and we're going to look at this, this overarching idea of that Jesus is our hope, the hope of Jesus. And in your notes, number one, the first point we can make out of this text is this. Number one is our hope comes from the unexpected. Our hope comes from the unexpected. In, in verse one of our text this morning, Isaiah chapter nine, it reads this way. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. Now, this would be totally unexpected by all of Isaiah's readers because if God was going to do something big, he would start at the holiest of headquarters. Where would he start at if God would do something big? Jerusalem, right? Instead, Isaiah said he will this one would come from Podunkville, from Hicktown. If you've ever taken a road trip trip out in the outer reaches of California, you've you've driven up the 395 to go up towards um, the eastern Sierra, Lake Tahoe, and all of that, or up, up the 5 or down Route Route 66, and you pass these little towns, and little towns like maybe this is a really a funny town. Take take a look at, at this one. This is Peculiar, <laughs> Peculiar, Missouri. I don't know if you ever want to live there. Maybe a bunch of Peculiar people live there, but um, the one that you really don't want to stop or maybe even get close to is maybe this one. Yes, this is Hell, Michigan. And um I don't know if it gets hot there, but uh but you you really don't want to stop there. But I'll tell you, if there is one place you don't wanna be from, it's it's this place right here. Boring Oregon. Right. Boring Oregon. But the worst thing than living at Boring, Oregon, is if you were assigned to a church there, and your church would be called Boring United Methodist Church. Now, I don't know what they were thinking when they were naming that church, but I I wouldn't take the name of my town if it was boring, that's for sure. What we see from this verse one from our text today is that Jesus will come from an obscure small town. Zebulun and Naphtali were in the northern outskirts of Israel, almost just forgotten places. They were long forgotten, in Galilee, there was, there was Jewish people still living there, but Galilee was known as a very multi-ethnic place. In fact, when you look at this phrase in verse 1, Galilee of the nations, it literally means Galilee of the Gentiles. There was just multi-ethnic there. And no one would expect the Savior Messiah would come from a long-forgotten small town that was not purely Jewish. In fact, you read in the Gospels in John chapter 1, in verse 45, it says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then Nathanael comes and he says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? I mean, can anything good come from that podunk little town like that? You see, there always seems to be a, I don't know if you've noticed it, but there always seems to be a pecking order that people establish wherever you go. It seems to start in the teenage years. You always find someone or something to look down on just to make yourself feel a little bit better. It starts in the teenage years, but it it just continues on. I grew up here in Torrance in the South Bay, and, and I grew up Going to North High School. Now, of all the high schools in Torrance, you have North High and you have uh, Torrance High, you have West High and you have South High. Nor- North High, and from my perspective, maybe not from yours, but from my perspective, North High was just on the bottom. We were just on the bottom. We look at Torrance High, and in their main building, there was a National Historic Building. Torrance High. If, if people who went to Torrance High, you lived in Marble Estates, or you lived in Old Town Torrance, where where um, they make movies of those beautiful homes, unique homes in Old Town Torrance. We're from North High, and we travel to the beach, and we always passed West High, the newest of the high schools in Torrance. And we look up to them and think, well, there, there it goes again. We're still at the bottom there, you know. And then you look at South High, and and, and, uh, and they're so close to the hill up there, and we're sort of on the flatlands down here. That was the pecking order when I, when I grew up. And still, if you were from Rome, Jerusalem would be that small town. But if you were from Jerusalem, then Galilee was just, that was Hicktown. That was on the other side of the tracks. And people would say, are you kidding me? The Savior of the world coming from there but that's what god does and this is something you find in almost every single christmas passage that jesus was not born in a palace he was born in a outbuilding or a barn or a a cave he was not born in an upper class wealthy family he was born in a poor family he was not born by surrounded by powerful political leaders but surrounded by shepherds who were just the lowest of the low class. And of course, his unwed teenage peasant girl mother who was most likely stigmatized because she was pregnant and unmarried. Jesus would not be anything that the world would look at and they'd find him in some yearbook that says, Jesus Christ most likely to succeed. Not at all. He had none of the marks of greatness. In Jesus' obscurity, you have the most influential person who ever lived. And the world doesn't recognize greatness when it's there. And God loves to bring greatness, and he loves to bring, bring salvation and power in your life in ways that you would never expect. The Apostle Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In verse 27, he says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Because of Jesus, he calls his church, he calls all of us to set aside social and class pecking orders And that's just not just to tolerate the poor, not just to tolerate the lonely and the sick, the disenfranchised, the marginalized, the ones who are trafficked, not just to turn your head away from them, but to welcome them like a brother and like a sister. And that's why we feed the hungry. That's why we reach out and help the working poor to do laundry here at NOVA. But it's not just to do something for them. It's to look at them eye to eye. It's to reach out and put your hand on their shoulder. It's to look at them and say, we're, we're brothers, we're, we're sisters in all of this. See, our hope, our hope comes from the unexpected. The second thing this text brings us, number two, is our hope brings us the light of salvation. Our hope brings us the light of salvation. Now, we put lights up on our house and Christmas trees and, and on garland and all that, and it, it symbolizes our light, but in, in, in verse 2, it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Those words, deep darkness, literally mean the death shadow. It puts together darkness and death together just like light and life go together and if 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 you if you looked up and did some research this is very interesting what would happen if the sun would suddenly go away what would happen if if the sun just went out I, i found this from dr david stevenson professor of planetary science from the california institute of technology He writes about this if the sun went out. Within a week, the average global surface temperature would drop below uh, uh, zero degrees Fahrenheit within a week. In a year, it would dip to minus 100 degrees. The top layers of the oceans would freeze over, but in in an apocalyptic irony, that ice would insulate the deep water below and prevent the oceans from freezing solid for hundreds of thousands of years. Millions of years after that, our planet would reach a stable minus 400 degrees. And although some microorganisms living on the Earth's crust would survive, the majority of life would enjoy only sort of this brief post-sun existence. Photosynthesis would halt immediately, and most plants would die within a few weeks. And with that comes the ability to oxygenate the planet, right? And with the food chain's bottom tier knocked out, most animals would die off quickly. But scavengers would survive for a little longer, picking over the dead remains. And they'd last until the cold killed them. But of course the sun doesn't merely heat the earth. It also keeps the planet in orbit. And if this mass of sun would suddenly disappear, the planet would fly off, he says, like a ball swung on a string and suddenly let go. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now, I'm, I'm thinking here, is Isaiah using these words, metaphorically, like a word picture to symbolize light and darkness, of uh, spiritual darkness, spiritual light? Is it just purely spiritual? And I'm just thinking, maybe not. Now, many of you enjoyed this a few weeks ago um, during Thanksgiving, right? Just a juicy, tasty, hot turkey. But what would happen, think with me now, what would happen if we just brought this turkey out and we just let it sit here? And um, maybe about... We let it sit there for about, till about 3 o'clock this afternoon. It would, it, would, it would get cold, right? And maybe not as appetizing as it kind of came out of the oven like we see here. Four hours later, it would be cold. But think with me now. What about four days later? What would it be like? The health department would certainly come and, and take care of things. But you know what? It's the same thing. That turkey is degrading if you let it sit out, but it's the same thing with the sun. We know that the sun is winding down. It's the same with our bodies, right? As you get older, you know that your body is just, it's winding down. And for those who are walking in darkness and living in a world where things are winding down, a light has come. There's hope for a world that's winding down, not just spiritually, I think, but physically, there's hope for us too. You see, number one, our hope comes from the unexpected. Number two, our hope brings us the light of salvation. And number three, last point for today is this. Our hope comes from the birth of Jesus. Our hope comes from the birth of Jesus. In verse 6 in Isaiah chapter 9, begins with the word for. And, and this signals this is the reason for our hope for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now we look at these titles, and you can only give these titles to God, and yet he was born, right? God, but born a baby. A child who was born is God. And no other major religion can have that same claim. And this person is obviously human because we read about someone being born. We read about a child. And the person is obviously God because we read titles like Mighty God and Everlasting Father. Jesus Christ, he is the God-man. And Christmas is about the birth of God. It's about God becoming human. And this is what we observe. This is what we celebrate. And so the first point we can make here is this. If Jesus Christ is really God, then you, just, you can't just like him. It, it, he's not just someone to be liked. It, if Jesus Christ is who he said he is, he just can't be good. He just, you just can't like what he said or, or like what he did. You just can't like him if if he's really God. John Stott in Basic Christianity, in his book Basic Christianity, he says this, anybody who ever met Jesus Christ only ever had three responses to him. They either were terrified and wanted to run away, or they hated him and wanted to kill him, or they worshiped him and got down on their knees and gave him everything. Because nobody just liked God. Jesus. You either are terrified and you run away, or you hate him and you want to kill him, or you worship him and get down on your knees and you give him everything. If he's truly God, you can't just like him. Second point we can make here is this if Jesus Christ is human, you have a God who understands. If he's a God, if he's really God, you can't just like him, but if he's human, you have a God who understands. And with all the suffering and pain in the world, he understands. I think sometimes. I, I, I don't really have a great answer for when someone is suffering or when someone is in deep pain or there's obvious evil that is observed. And I don't know why that God hasn't stopped evil and suffering, but I do know it can't be because he doesn't love us. Dorothy Sayers, who's a British writer, writes this, and I think it just captures it just perfectly. She writes in her essay, The Greatest Drama Ever Staged. She writes, The incarnation means that for whatever reason God chose to let us fall into a condition of being limited to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death. He nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death he was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain all for us and thought it well worth his while he thought it it was well worth his while and to think that this is a gift i mean it's it's an amazing gift that's been given to us you if you if you look at verse 5 verse 5 is a curious verse it in our text, it, it, it says, Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. And verse 5 tells us this, this simply. it's You're not going to need to fight. You don't need to fight for this. Because in verse 6, it says, "For us, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. It's a gift of grace, and so you can't fight for it. You don't deserve it. It's the only way you can receive the, the gift of Jesus Christ is to admit that it's a gift. There's a lot of gifts. I, I see piles of gifts. I see people handing out gifts to each other on Christmas Sunday. Here's a gift here. A couple books. Good. Mediterranean diet for dummies. (laughs) How to win friends and influence people. Have you ever received a gift that humbled you? Some gifts make you swallow your pride. Some gifts are hard to receive. These gifts, diet book, just saying get with it right (laughs) how to win friends and influence people maybe a saying you're so obnoxious (laughs) there's no way to receive a gift like this thankfully without admitting something you would rather not admit have you ever received a gift like that As a young church planter, I, I can't believe I'm saying this. I said this to someone yesterday at lunch. Um, it's been 30 years since we planted the church. Janet and I got married about four months after we planted our church, and, and we were young, in our early 20s, and we were struggling financially for the first couple years. And we received so many financial gifts I mean, someone saw me pull up. We were meeting at a school in the beginning, and they pulled up in my car early in the morning, and they looked at my car. So said, that's your car? I said, yeah. They said, boy, you need new tires. And I said, yeah, I know. And then about a week or two later, an envelope shows up at our apartment and said, buy yourself some new tires. But that wasn't the only gift. I mean, there were many, many gifts. And every time i get something like that i i had to swallow my pride because i had to admit i'm not self-sufficient i guess i can't provide for my family on my own there there's never been a gift given that would make you swallow your pride more than the gift of jesus christ to the world at christmas Because God loves me so, he gave the gift of his son, born a human, to suffer the cross for me. And I must swallow my pride and say that I could never be good enough on my own to live in eternity with him in heaven. I can't do it on my own. You see, humanity is in bad shape. Nothing less than the death of the Son of God could save us. And this means, this means that every single one of you, me, too, we don't have our life together. And so when this gift is given to us, we have to. when we receive it, we admit, hey, I don't have my life together. I can't do it on my own. And to accept the gift of Jesus, I need to be honest, that I am not acceptable to God on my own. I need forgiveness in my life. That Jesus lived a perfect life that I was meant to live, and then he died the death that I was meant to die. And I need to give up my control of my life to Jesus Christ. Verse 7. Of the greatest of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. Let's all stand, and I'll close us in prayer this morning. Dear Father I'm amazed that that you would love us so I'm amazed that that you would send your son Jesus born as a human fully God fully human And that he would go to the cross for us. That this child was born, this this son was given to us. And Father, as, as we receive this gift, the only way we can receive it is to admit that we need this gift. This gift humbles us from our very core that we can't do it on our own. And how thankful we are that you cared enough, that you loved us so, that you sent your Son. Father, thank you. We get to celebrate the birth of Jesus this Christmas. Thank you for your word that tells us straight, it it doesn't mince any words, that a people were walking in darkness, that a death shadow has fallen, but a light has come and that light is the life of men. We give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.